We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. We're in First Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there together. And as a matter of fact, I thought maybe... We could actually begin First Chronicles by going to chapter 27 of First Chronicles. And let me pray one more time. Lord, as we start this book, Lord, I know it's a, a repetition of things in one sense that we've already read. But I also know, Lord, that you repeat things because they're important. You really want us to know these things. And so, Lord, give us an ear to hear. Uh, Lord, not to hear for so-and-so, but to hear for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you help us to really uh, just, Lord, be taught by you. And Lord, just give me the words to share tonight. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in First Chronicles 27, look at verse 24, if you would. Uh, it says in verse 24, Joab, the son of Zeruiah, began a census, but he did not finish, for wrath came upon Israel because of this census. Nor was a number recorded in the account of the chronicles of King David. The chronicles of King David, interesting. Uh, that's what we're going to be reading in First Chronicles. It's really the chronicles of King David. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down First uh, Kings chapter 14, verse 29, where it says that the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they are not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. So in one sense, First Chronicles is the Chronicles of King David. We saw that here in chapter 27, verse 24. But then when you look at the books of first and second kings you'll find that phrase the chronicles of the kings of judah 15 times and so that's second chronicles and that's the book that we're going to get into eventually after we finish these chapters you know i thought it was interesting to note that the word chronicles here in 27 24 it, it, in the hebrew it has the meaning of an ongoing account like a journal or a diary events in the order of their occurrence and so that's kind of what we're reading. Uh, if you were to look at the word chronicles, you're like, what does that mean, chronicles? In an English dictionary, it means a factual, written account of important or historical events in the order of their occurrence. And so, you guys, as we start this book, my prayer is that God would really be the one to teach us these things. Um, because when you think of the chronicles of uh, David, who's David symbolic of? David's symbolic of Jesus, huh? The Lord Jesus Christ, and he's a picture of Jesus. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when it all, you know, all the dust is settled and you really, you know, f try to figure out, Lord, what's this all about? It really is all about him. It really is. It's all about Jesus. You know, we've been studying the, the life of Paul in the Bible college, and uh, one of the cool things about his calling is that it says there that when Paul was called, he was called to bear his name to bear his name. And that's why it's so important that we speak the name of Jesus. You know, I want to ask you guys this, and please don't tell anybody, you know, uh, except for God. 
okay? But on the 23rd, I'm going to go in, I'm going to do an invocation for the city council as a chaplain for the police department. And uh, they, they told me not to pray in Jesus' name. So, I, I mean, they told me before, but then they kind of had a special meeting, and then they told me again, you know, you can't pray in Jesus' name. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a, a troublemaker or anything like that. If they want to take me off the schedule, they can. That's their prerogative. They, I told you know them that, and I'll reiterate that to my coordinator. But I'm not going to take myself off the schedule, and I'm not going to stop praying in Jesus' name. Because I know that that is the name above all names. You know, we bear his name. And so we'll see what happens. You know, I don't know. For all I know, maybe nothing will happen. But, you know, that's uh, the, the, the one that we have to look to. And so as we're studying through First Chronicles and we're looking at the, the life of David, never forget that David is symbolic of Jesus. And one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge all these nations and all these things that are going on. He's going to make every wrong right. He's going to bring justice. And so don't lose heart. Whatever you do, don't think that these things are happening and the enemy's prevailing because no, Jesus is coming. And so in studying Chronicles, especially this first portion, remember it's the Chronicles of King David. And my prayer is that we really would see him as the one symbolic of Jesus Christ. And so, just for the record, uh, and I don't know if anybody's really interested in this, but First and Second Chronicles were actually one book at one time. As a matter of fact, uh, when they were originally written, uh, it was First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah, all together on one scroll. But then what happened was the Septuagint. Uh, can you guys say that word, Septuagint? Septuagint. Now you know. What's the Septuagint? Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament that was compiled around 200, 300 B.C. When that came in, then what ended up happening was they divided it up, First and Second Chronicles, and then we have Ezra and Nehemiah. And so we start this book. Um, I don't know if you're wondering. A lot of times people like to f- discover, well, who wrote the book? We're not 100% sure. A Jewish tradition teaches us that the compiler of the Chronicles was Ezra. As a matter of fact, and you don't have to do this now, but later on, look at the last two verses of this book, uh, Second Chronicles, and then the first two verses of Ezra, and you'll find they're the exact same. And so Ezra more than likely was the one who wrote this. So we do know this, that whoever had to wrote, write this was someone that had to be alive after the return of the Jews to Israel from their Babylonian captivity. And it had to be someone who could kind of go in and get the official government documents, historical documents, someone that kind of had those types of connections. We also know this, it had to be someone who was a priest because uh, of the way that this is presented. You're going to see, you guys, that it's presented from the perspective of a priest. And so when you consider all those things, and you take into account the last two verses of Second Chronicles and then the first two of Ezra, we really believe, even through tradition, that Ezra was the one who wrote this book. Now as far as when it was written, um, it was probably the 5th century B.C. We're pretty sure we can even narrow down a date right around 430 B.C. based on the reign of King Cyrus. And so, you know, it's kind of cool when you put it all together... Um, and all that I think is helpful, you know, just to you know go through it and know the setting. 
But to me, probably even more of an important question, because in all reality, um, who wrote it? If you get down to the end of the uh, this, the end of the the nitty gritty, who wrote it? God wrote it, huh? God wrote it through Ezra. Um, what we find, to me, probably the most important question is why was it written? Why was this book written? And what we find is that the Chronicles were written for a number of reasons. Uh, the first part is just to record history, the history of Israel, uh, as you study the lessons of David and Solomon, and then all the different kings of Judah, you're going to find uh, a few things. And here's something that's really cool. When you study this book, you're going to be convinced of the invincibility of God's people who obey him. Invincibility. And you go through this and you're going to see some kings that were sold out and surrendered. They really loved God. They were committed to God. They were yielded to Yahweh. They were so powerful. I mean, God used them in a tremendous way. We're going to see about this King Asa. When a million men came against him, you know what he did? He prayed. And you know what God did? God wiped him out. I wiped out a million men. Because Asa was right on. You know, the invincibility of God's people when when they obey him. You're going to see that so clearly. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know who your million man army that's coming against you is or who the giant is or what mountain needs to be moved. Whatever it might be, a lot of times it's just me. I'm my worst enemy, right? And, but, but man, when you yield to the Lord and you walk in obedience to him, and I don't know what he's been telling you. I know for me he's been telling me to pray more, pray more, pray more, get up and pray more fast, pray at night, just... When you obey him, there's that invincibility, but there's also a lesson that's woven through this book, and that is the inevitability of punishment if we live in disobedience. You know, when we live in disobedience, just the natural laws of God's creation bring us to that place where we find ourselves in the gutter. It's almost like God doesn't have to do anything, but especially for God's people, it's a, it's a form of chastisement it's a form of discipline. And so it's a really, it's a heavy lesson, you guys. Um, the invincibility of God's people when they obey him, the inevitability of punishment when we disobey him, and we're going to see repeated over and over again, is when we obey, God's hand of blessing is on us and we're invincible. But when we disobey, God's hand of discipline will fall upon us, and then it's then that the discipline is inevitable. Now, I don't want to sound like, you know, Jesus isn't a gracious God, you know, because he is. And only the Lord knows. Like, you know how it is, even us as parents, when our kids get out of line, I mean, sometimes right away we hit them. You know, I don't know how many of you are like that. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get you right away. A lot of times we're real patient, you know. And the Lord's like that with us at times. He knows our heart. He knows all the factors. He knows everything about us. We have to leave room for God's grace, but we got to know that when God's grace is abused, when God's grace is like expected, when God's grace is like demanded, then it's not it's not grace anymore. And so we're going to learn that chronicles chronicles through the actual history, and in doing so, it really teaches a neat lesson that the Lord should be 
the Lord. I mean, it's not complicated. The Lord should be our master. One man said this. He said, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. That's the first duty of every soul. And Chronicles is a call. It's even a cry for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, and I've told you guys before about obedience and the lesson. You know, I mean, if God says jump, I'll say how high. If he says no, then you don't want it. If he says yes, then run with passion. Um, You know, just the simple obedience uh, for us as Christians. You know, I remember the story of Roger Staubach who led the Dallas Cowboys to the uh, World Championship in 1971. How many of you guys were alive back then? I was five. I think I was five. But man, he was the quarterback. They won the Super Bowl. That's like every guy's dream, right? And he admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own plays was a real struggle for him. You know, I'm the quarterback. You know, I've got my gifts and I'm out here on the field. I I should be the one calling the plays, right? And Coach Landry sent in every play for the Dallas Cowboys. The coach called the shots, not the quarterback. And so he told them when to pass and when to run and what to do. And, you know, even though he knew his coach was kind of a genius, uh, you know, when it comes to football, the pride, the pride was what got to him. And he said, man, I should be able to call my own shots. I should be able to call my own plays. But it was later, he said, when he finally came to that place uh, and uh, faced and embraced obedience to his coach, it was then, he said, that there was harmony and there was fulfillment and then there was ultimate victory. And the same is true for us. It really is. You know, until then, we're going to struggle. But when we come to that place, and here's where I just struggle I don't want to die, Lord. I don't want to die. To myself, I don't want to die to my pride. I don't want to die to, you know, me. And God says, well, that's where it starts. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his couch. No, I'm just joking. His cross, right? <laughs> Let's take up his easy life. No, you got to take up your cross. You have to die on that cross. And that's what we see taught in the Bible. This book was written to communicate invincibility. It was also written for genealogy. Uh, First Chronicles presents its information from a priestly perspective. And it's for that reason that there's a whole bunch of names. How many of you here have read through First Chronicles and you've seen all the names that are there? You know, it's just a whole bunch of names. And you know, you might not be interested in those names, but believe you me, they were they needed these genealogies. They needed to prove their lineage. They needed to prove their lineage so that they can prove that they were supposed to be priests and they needed their genealogies and lineage in order to prove the Messiah would come one day. And so, you know, we read in Ezra chapter 2, verse 62, later on about how some priests, they couldn't be priests because they didn't have the ability to prove the documents. They didn't have their genealogies. It would be like our ID. Or it would be like, almost like our social security card of some sort, you know, and that kind of thing. But we know that that would be necessary for priests and that would be also necessary for the Messiah. One day, the Messiah was supposed to come through what tribe? You guys know? How long have you been coming here? <laughs> Judah. You guys know that, right? He had to be. He had to come through the the lineage of Judah, and so they had to have those genealogical records. They were, 
they were precious to them. To us, it's a struggle reading through it. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not going to read all these names because I can't pronounce them. But you go ahead and you look up all the names and what they mean and what they are backwards and all that kind of stuff. And I'll let you figure out the hidden Bible codes uh, for yourself, okay? <laughs> but here we have uh, this beautiful book, uh, First Chronicles, about David. And it, it covers uh, the life of David, the growth of Israel under his leadership. And uh, Second Chronicles then covers the time and history from the reign of Solomon, David's son, to the Babylonian captivity. And so, I don't know if you guys know this, I, I, I don't know if you necessarily have to know this, but just in case you're interested, First Samuel, so you go back to the Bible, you've got your Pentateuch, your Joshua, your Judges, your Ruth, and then you get to First Samuel. First Samuel is the story of Samuel, and then Saul, right? So that's First Samuel. Then when you get to Second Samuel, what's that, what's that a story of? David, right? First Chronicles is also a sto- the, the story of David. So it's repeated. It's repeated. Second Samuel, First Chronicles, they go together. But Second Samuel is more of a historical, general uh, description, whereas First Chronicles is from a priestly perspective. And so we'll be able to appreciate that uniqueness of it. But then we get into, after Second Samuel, you have First and Second Kings. And that's the history of all the kings of Israel and Judah, right? From Solomon all the way to Jehoiakim, the, the captivity of Babylon. So first and second kings are then covered in second chronicles. Are you following me so far? You're like, no, okay, there are probably like three people that are. That's okay, for you three, okay, listen up. <laughs> all right? And then second chronicles, however, is from a priestly perspective, And what it does is it just covers the southern kingdom of Judah, not the northern kingdom of Israel. And so, you know, there are things here that are are repeated, and I always tell you guys they're repeated so we won't be defeated. I, I always, I mean, to me, if God wrote it again and again, then he really wants me to know this. And so I pray that you would be able to, you know, learn these things. And we know in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, now all these things in the Old Testament happened to them as examples and they were written for our own admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so those things were written for us. It's not just reading it and looking at them and what happened there, but it's written for our own admonition, our own warning, our own encouragement. Same thing over in Romans 15.4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so, um, you know, let's get into this. And and again, I'm not going to read all the names, but we'll touch on a few. Uh, Notice there in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then, man, look at all those names. There's just a lot of names there. Any of you guys, you guys know who Adam is? All right, we're all from the Adams family. You guys know that, right? We all come from him. But, man, he traces it all the way back, all the way back. He mentions Seth right here, who was born after Cain killed Abel. 
In Genesis 4.25, he mentions Enosh. Enosh is interesting. His name means uh, to call on the Lord. It says, in his day, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And then he mentions uh, Enoch right there as well. Uh, Enoch uh, was the son of Cain. It may have been him, but also there's another Enoch later mentioned. Because notice right here in verse 3 that Enoch is adjacent to Methuselah. And so more than likely, this Enoch is the father of Methuselah. Do you guys know who Enoch is? He's pretty cool. He's the, he's the guy that got raptured in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And you read that. And so if you want to get raptured, how many of you here want to get raptured? Walk with God, okay? Real simple. Hebrews 11 is a commentary on that. And he talks about that, how he did that by faith, not by feelings, but he walked with God by faith. And he's a great example. You can read about him in Genesis 5, verse 24, and then Hebrews 11, verse 5. Uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 14, speaks how he was the seventh from Adam, and he was actually even a prophet. Now, you guys know about that guy Methuselah, right? It sounds kind of a funny name, Methuselah. You should name your son that, Methuselah. <laughs> Uh, Methuselah was, had the unique distinctive of being the uh, oldest man who ever lived. As far as we know in the Bible, uh, he lived 969 years. That's crazy, huh? Genesis 5:27 talks about him. I was talking to my friend the other day, and I was just like, man, I hope I don't like, you know, live like super old. I mean, just maybe like about maybe, you know, a fairly young age, die in my sleep and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But imagine living 969 years. And of course we know that in the beginning when man was first made, that he's, we're, he's a lot different. Now we only use 10% of our brain. You know, things were different then. And then as time progressed and just a lot of things decayed uh, in the world that we live in and even in these bodies that we inhabit, uh, man has gone down. Uh, now we have a little longer lives because of our technology, but still nothing like 969 years. Huh? And then he mentions Lamech right here as probably the father of Noah, according to Genesis 5, verse 29. And he's mentioned next right here, along with Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you go over to verse uh, 10, we read about this guy, and look at verse 10. Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, Nimrod is an interesting individual. Uh, he is mentioned in Genesis 10, verses 8 through 11, where it says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And guess, guess what, what country we get from Babel? You guys know? Babylon. And another, another uh, country that he built was Assyria and Nineveh. Those are the two countries that took the Jews captive. And so this guy Nimrod right here, you know, you see evil, you know, beginning to enter into the world that we live in. Of course, this is after the flood, and we see that those ramifications are still there. Uh, you guys know what modern-day Babylon is, right? Iraq, Iraq. And so it's fascinating to me to see these things. Uh, in verse 27, notice if you would down in verse 27, it says the sons 
It says, And Abram, who is Abraham? And so the sons of Abraham were Isaac and Ishmael. And so verses 1 through 28 is the family of Adam uh, all the way to uh, the family of Abraham mentioned here. And of course we know that Abram, his name means exalted father, but Abraham means father of a multitude. God changed his name in Genesis chapter 17 verse 5. And so, you know, and I'm sure... You know, when you look at all these names right here, you're like, man, you know, like, why why did God even do that, you know? But it, it just reminds us, you know, that God knows all of us. He knows all of our names. We all have a part. We're all etched in history somehow, uh, some way. Of course, we don't just want our names in the Bible. I'd rather have my name written in heaven. So important. But, you know, you look at all these guys right here, and some of them we know, and, uh, it, you know, I don't know, we learn just different things. We can camp out on that if we wanted to. I, I, I pray that God would, would change my, my name, you know, that God would change my nature. That, you know, you see these guys with the new beginnings in life, and he was Jacob, and now he's Israel. Jacob means manipulator, conniver, wrestler in that sense with God's will, but and Israel means governed by God. And we see... Paul in the New Testament, you know, previously known as Saul, which means desired one, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin, undoubtedly he was thinking about being the king, and then God changed his name to Paul, which means little, you know. May God change our name, like he did with Abram, like he did with Abram and changing him into Abraham at a certain juncture of his life. And then in chapter 2, if you go over to, I'm sorry, you know what? Let me touch on chapter 1. We have in verse, uh, do I have my notes in this? And I was telling Henry, man, pray for me because this is going to be so hard to teach. And I had my notes. It's even worse if you don't have notes, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I know we have our headings in our Bible. I don't know if you do. Does yours say the family of Ishmael in your Bible? So you've got your headings. You guys know who Ishmael was. He was the other son of Abraham, the older one, but it wasn't of the Lord. He was the son of the flesh. And then you have the family of Keturah. We know that she was a concubine of Abraham. And later even he had children through her. And then you have the family of Isaac, uh, which is now we're going to trace eventually. We're going to focus in on the Jews and the promised lineage. The family of Seir and the kings of Edom they go together, actually. Uh, they inhabited the same area. Uh, we know that Edom is of the descendants of Esau. Remember, uh, Jacob had two sons, right? And, and one of them was Esau, the other was Isaac. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, you have actually there the 12 sons of Israel. We should read them. Huh? These were the sons of Israel. Reuben, he's the oldest, uh, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And so in the book of Revelation, it talks about the 12 tribes and they're over there written in the foundations uh, in the book of Revelation. And then notice in verses 3 through 17, we have the, from Judah to David. And we have that, that awful story in verse 3. It says the sons of Judah were Er, Onan, and Shelah. These three were born to him by the daughter of Shua. Notice the Canaanites. So Er, the firstborn of Judah, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And so what happened? The Lord killed him, right? 
And it says, And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah, and all the sons of Judah were five. And we know what ended up happening eventually was, uh, you know, Judah's uh, next son died, and then he had his third son promised uh, to this young lady. But unfortunately, uh, he was thinking, man, she must have bad cooking or something because all my sons are dying. And so he never gave uh, her his son and so what ended up happening eventually is she disguised herself as a prostitute and Judah slept with her and it's from that. And we're going to see that's such a sign of grace because it was even through this lineage here that Jesus came to us. But we're seeing uh, right away from Judah to David and then in verse 18 of chapter 2 we have the family of Hezron. He was a grandson of Judah. In verses 25 through 41 of that chapter, we have the genealogy of the family of Jeremiel, and he's the first son of Hezron and great-grandson of Judah. So you'll notice there that they're focusing on Judah. And Jesus came from what tribe? Judah. Now you guys know. It's so cool. And uh, in verses 42 through 55, we have the family of Caleb. And again, throughout the whole chapter, they're focusing on Judah. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, it covers uh, the kind of the more of a closer family, uh, the immediate family of David. And then in chapter 3, verses 10 through 16, we have the family of Solomon. Now, chapter 3, verse 17 through 24, it's uh, the family of Jeconiah. Now, it's interesting. So we have David, and then we go all the way over to Jeconiah. And you guys know who Jeconiah is? Well, Jeconiah was uh, the son of King Jehoiakim of Judah and king of Judah for three months and ten days before he surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar and was taken captive to Babylon where he was imprisoned for the next 36 years and then released at the death of Nebuchadnezzar. And he remained in Babylon until his death. And so I guess in a, in a nutshell, it's like the beginning of God's you know, King uh, David all the way through the end of his lineage as far as the, the, the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so it goes from David to Jeconiah. And so again, the priestly perspective is, and he's going to talk about other tribes, but the focus is here on the lineage of the Messiah. And again, in chapter 4, and verses 1 through 23, we have the family of Judah, and then we get into the family of Simeon in chapter 4, verses 24 through 43. And when you'll notice, and, and if you guys want to, I wonder, are any of you guys going to go home and read these? You might, huh? You actually might. I remember when I read taught through Nehemiah, there was one chapter that has about 100 names in there, and I read the whole chapter. I read all the names. And I remember the guys, after I was done, they were all clapping. You know, it was funny, man. So um, I don't know. You're going to see little things tucked away in there. Like when I go through this in my devotional reading, uh, I'll go through and maybe I'll kind of scan. And if there's anything other than just names, you know, you're going to get something out of it. I mean, even in, in Simeon, it's interesting. Look at verse uh, uh, 27. It says, Shimei had 16 sons and six daughters, but his brothers did not have many children, nor did any of their families multiply as much as the children of Judah. So that's interesting. You guys are notice Simeon didn't have a lot of descendants. And so uh, a lot of people believe it was because of their disobedience. Um, it not only talks about where they, I mean about their family, 
But it also talks about where they dwelt. Uh, there it says in verse 28 that they dwelt at Beersheba. And then if you go down to verse 38, it says, These mentioned by name were leaders in their families, and their father's house increased greatly. And so they went to the entrance of Gedor, as far as the east side of the valley, to seek pasture for their flocks. And they found rich, good pasture, and the land was broad and quiet and peaceful, for some Hamites formerly lived there. And you know, when I read verse 39 and 40, to me, um, it's not like a, a, a physical place, but it's a spiritual place. It's a spiritual place that I want to be, Lord. I want to I wanna be in a place where I'm like um, just receiving your word. I'm in good pasture. And I want to be in a place, Lord, in my life, whatever it takes to, to have this type of peace right here, this quiet, you know, in my heart. And so, you know, I don't know. I go through the go through these genealogies, you guys, and uh, and you'll find little things tucked away, and the Lord will minister to you. And like I said earlier, if you wanted to, you can look up the meanings of all their names, and uh, and then you can email it to me, and then I'll share it with the congregation one day. You know, because it's interesting in the book of Genesis, and I have to admit it, in the book of Genesis, it has a list of genealogies that if you look if you look up all their names and what they mean. It's a message. And so there, there's, Jesus said every jot, every tittle is inspired. And so I'm not making light of this. But, you know, when you study the Bible, you have to admit there's times where you, where you just kind of, you don't go as in-depth. Okay, so this is going to be one of those times. But I do want to touch a little bit on uh, Jabez. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. I'm sure you guys have heard this story before. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And so God granted him what he requested. Now it's this trip to me how like right in the middle of all these, you know, 100,000 names, you know, you have this really cool story of, of Jabez. And I think there is a lesson, you know, for us to take away tonight. And looking at Jabez, it says right here that he was more honorable than his brothers. And more than likely that's going to be because of the whole story of his life. I don't think it was necessarily because of where he was at this juncture in his life. But he came to a place in his life where he prayed a prayer. He prayed a prayer. Because what had happened was when he was born, his mom gave him a name, and the name meant pain. Imagine that. I mean, like all kids, when they're born, cause pain, don't they, moms? I'm sure it hurt all of you. Even if you got the epidural, you know, I'm sure there was, there was pain. But imagine having to live with that stigma. I mean, every single day of your life, I'm a pain. I'm a pain. Who gave you that name? Oh, my peers, you know how they are. They're so mean in, in school, and everybody says I'm a pain. No, who gave you that name? My mom did. My mom gave me the name pain. And so you're living that life, you know? And, 
And I think what ended up happening was, man, he just came to that place and he said, Lord, you know, he, 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 he prayed in verse 16. Is that 16? Oh, no, verse 10. So you got to put your glasses on. And, and Jabez called on the God of Israel and he said, and I love this, he said this, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. You know, is it okay to ask God to bless you? Some people say, no, it's not okay to ask God to bless me. It's okay to ask God to bless you because um, you, what is a blessing? A blessing isn't a lot of money necessarily. That actually might be a cursing. <laughs> a blessing isn't like I'm going to get a nice car with, with Bluetooth. I dream about that sometimes, you know. <laughs> a blessing is something that comes from God. Something that God knows that you need. It's okay to pray, Lord, that you would bless me indeed. I, I like that because just because of the fact that he's looking to the Lord. And then he prays right here, the second part of his prayer, that you would enlarge my territory. Now again, you know, when I read that, you know, maybe it does speak of land. I don't want to necessarily over-spiritualize it. But I, I think that when I read that, I think more of the idea of uh, my sphere of influence. Lord, somehow, some way, you know, bless me. And Lord, that you would enlarge my territory, that you would give me uh, a greater influence for you, Lord. Um, this is not for my glory. This is for your glory. And it's okay to pray those prayers, I, I think. Uh, now, we've got to be careful with the prayer of Jabez because when the book, you guys, how many of you guys read the book? The, by Bruce Wilkinson, The Prayer of Jabez. It came out, I think, in 2000. It, re, it sold like 9 million books. It was so successful that they made uh, jewelry. I mean, they made uh, journals. They made kids' books. They made, I mean, everything you could possibly think of uh, when it comes to the, the Prayer of Jabez. And one of the mistakes, I think, about the book is it tells you to pray this prayer for 30 days. So, but that's not what we're talking about. But you know, the Lord gives us, I think, principles in prayer. And I think sometimes he gives us uh, formats or models of prayer, examples of prayer. And, uh, and, I, and I think it's good to be able to have these. I love praying Bible. And then the third thing, he says that your hand would be with me. I love that. You know, you read the book of Acts, that was the difference when, hands got, when God's hand was upon them. But then the, it's so cool what he says next, and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. I love that part of it. I love that part of it because, you know, we all have a responsibility to obey God. You know, um, it's up to us. But I tell you what, when, God, when I ask God to help me obey Him, I think He honors that. He's not going to say, well, no, I'm not going to help you, Manny. That's, that's your call, you know, free will, you know, that type of thing. No, He'll protect me from demons. He'll protect me and even sometimes from temptation if I'm praying this prayer. And I believe that God will even protect me from the world and, and, and from, you know, Evil. I mean, I know growing up, I'll be honest with you, when I grew up, uh, I was a really, really shy, super shy guy. And I was so shy. And I think I've told you guys this before that um, I, uh, I was so shy, even if I liked a girl, 
I would never talk to her. I couldn't do that, right? And I, and I think that part of that was God protecting me. And it says there's different ways, I think, where God will answer that prayer. Why? Because here's what happens, and I'll close with this, that when I, I do evil, when I do sin, it just causes pain to others. You know, if it was just me, that's not really as much of a deal. Of course, I want to be successful. I want to be, you know, blessed. But it, it hurts my wife and my kids and, and the church. And, and, and not only that, who, who gets grieved when we sin? God does. The Bible talks about that, how the Holy Spirit is just grieved when we sin. And so, you know, you guys, let's... Let's pray, man. Um, tucked away into that genealogy and all those names, I think as we go through Chronicles, we're going to see some really cool lessons. And uh, maybe you can pray that prayer. You know, Maybe you could just pray something like it. But when you come away with the principles of it, I think that when in the end of the day, it's so cool because it says right there, and then, and then God, God gave him you know, what he asked for. You know, he answered his prayer. And so what does the Bible say? Sometimes you don't have because you don't ask, right? So start asking. Let's start praying. God, please uh, bless me and my family. And by that, I don't mean a Hummer, Lord. Um, by that, I mean whatever it is that I need. It, it might even be chastening, but that's okay. Bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. Lord, um, just do these things in my life, Father, that uh, you would have your hand on me and on my family, on the church that you would just uh, protect me, keep me from evil, that I wouldn't cause pain. And I, and I, I think it's just so cool how God answered that, that, that prayer. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life. Lord, I, I pray your blessings upon your people. I pray, Lord, you enlarge their territory, that you have your hand on them, your hand. Lord, your hand on them. Lord, I pray that you would even give us grace and keep us from evil, Lord, so that we wouldn't cause pain to other people and to you especially, Lord. And I just thank you so much for everyone here, Lord. I pray uh, that we would be able to get blessed in life. And if we're here for First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, Lord, teach us. And if not, I know you're always, you're always teaching us in life. Just help us to listen. Help us to be teachable. Love you, Lord. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.